Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall. I'm coming up for air. Today, I'm with Kayla Solomon, my co-host. Hi, Kayla. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. This week, Dominique is not here. She'll be back again next week. But let me turn it over to you, Kayla. And why don't you bring up our topic for today? Well, you've been hearing us talk a lot about the tools and about behavior change and about changing your mind and that kind of stuff. One of the the repetitive responses we get from people who are actual dealing with addiction is that they know everything. Okay, so this just came up in the group the other day, like, oh, I don't want to go back into treatment because I could teach that class or you know, I know more than the therapists know and all that stuff. And so what we were talking about, which I think is a very relevant issue, is there's a gap between what you know and what you do. OK, and that's that's one of the things that when people who are dealing with substances come in to see me and they're like, well, I know all of this stuff. That's true with a lot of this, that we have a tremendous amount of information But with most of us, when it comes to wanting to do things differently, there's a gap between knowing, knowing what you need to do, knowing how to change and then actually changing. So stuff gets in the way of that. And that's what I think would be a really great topic for today is what are the obstacles between the knowing and the doing between the the information and the implementation of it? I think this is a great topic. And I think that this can be translated not only for the person with substance use disorder, but also for the family member themselves. Because I'm just thinking, I remember hearing this from my son as well. But I also knew that he was headed in a more positive direction when he would have a recurrence. And he would say things like, I know I've learned pretty much a lot. You know, I've, I've learned so much in my IOP. IOP stands for intensive outpatient program. But I think I need the structure. I think I need to go back and just kind of tweak things. And I knew, oh, he's saying, ah, I don't want to have to repeat it, but I think I need to go back and repeat it and get it, get it started again. And that's how I knew, okay, he knows he doesn't quite have it all down. And he knows he's got to get back there. And I also find that families, I think, go through the same type of thing. And and it's a it's a cyclical process that happens over and over and over again, which is why watching the videos on on the Allies and Recovery website and doing the activities also is we want you to go back and watch it and watch it and watch it because when you go through it the first time, you're picking up basic stuff. You're picking up the basics. But then when you go through it the second and the third time, you pick up things that you didn't understand previous. 
And once you start really implementing it, you have like, or, or at least I did, I had like these little epiphanies and I still have them when I'm working with other families. I'm still like, oh, geez, you know, I didn't focus on that piece of it before. And now I'm recognizing how important it is. And just for a quick example, the five parts of like communication and just this past pass that we were doing in the uh, rest meetings, I realized the importance of short, be brief, but it took me this many years, <laughs> however many years I've been doing it to actually, I mean, I've done it, I've, I've implemented it, I've put it into place but I didn't realize how important it was until this last pass, which is probably my hundredth pass through the communication skills with families. I'll use the communication skills as well, because uh, several thousand years ago, I got trained as an Imago relationship therapist, and it's very much the dialogue, the listening, the reflecting, the validation, summarizing that you've heard in different podcasts. And I've used that over and over and over again in real life. And I just remember there was one conversation I was having with my partner and you know how you have the same argument every couple of years and it just over and over and over. And I had been using the dialogue and mirroring and reflecting and I'm pretty damn good at this tool, but this, we were in this really loud restaurant and it was a very triggered conversation for me. I was very, very feeling reactive. But what was fascinating is it was a really loud restaurant and I knew somebody sitting at the next table and this was a private conversation. So I decided that what I was going to do is listen in a different way. And I felt like what I did was I put these blinders on where I didn't hear anything else. I just was listening in this very, very, very intense way, which I don't think I've ever had that kind of quality before. And here was the interesting knowledge that I got out of that one, which transformed me. I was like, oh my God, what if what she's saying to me is right? And there's stuff that I'm doing that actually is not so great, even though I think I'm doing everything correctly, because I, you know, that's how we all roll. And so I was like, oh, wow, if I am creating part of this problem, and it's only part of it, but what's my part? then I am the solution. And it was like, my brain blew up. And I was like, and this, by the way, is what I see as the craft method, is that this other person is doing this set of behaviors that's not easy, that's problematic, that's difficult, that's messy and triggering and complicated. And what we're asking you in craft is to look at your part of this, because if you have a part in this, then you get to be part of the solution. That was the my mind-blowing moment. I'm like, oh, wow, this is where my power is. And I do call this the power position because if there's something that I could do that shifts things even microscopically, then I feel power as opposed to waiting and wondering and trying to control the other person and trying to fix things and trying to do something. Guarantee, trying to guarantee the outcome. But there's these tiny little changes that I can make that might make a difference. And I feel like that's the focus. But it was, again, it was me, like you said, you know how you keep looping over the same behaviors, trying to get better at it. I had been doing it, let's say, probably 17 years I've been doing intensively this kind of active listening. But this moment was different for me. 
I don't know why, but it was because I never gave up on it. Even if I felt like it didn't work, I just kept doing it. So that moment was a life changer for me because when I realized that I had a part in it, that gave me my power back. I had something very clear that I could do, which is if I'm being interpreted in a particular way by the other person, even if that's not my intention, I need to work on why would they interpret it that way? And look at that. People think you're controlling and that you're trying to fix things or that you're judging them. And I'm like, all right, let me think about this. Am I being controlling? Am I judging? Am I trying to be manipulative in a positive way, but I'm trying to make something good happen? If the answer is yes to any of those things, and by the way, it was, then okay, if I don't want to be perceived that way, I have to do things differently. And it completely changed my menu choices. I hear you. I hear you. And just a couple of things, because I think about it in terms of, I will say something to my partner as well. I will say something like, when this is said to me, I feel a particular way. And this is my partner, not my son, but will often say to me something to the effect of, no, I'm not doing that. And in my mind, I'm like, no, that's my perception. That's how I'm feeling. When these words are said to me, that's how I'm feeling. And then that response back to me is, uh, no, you're wrong. You're not feeling that. I'm not. I am feeling that. And it is these words. And so I often will look at it from that perspective, that if I am feeling that way, that if someone is saying something like that to me, I have to stop and really listen to what they're saying to me and think about it. Okay, you know, okay, is there a way for me to reframe it? Do I need to come at it from a different direction? Or do I just listen and then sit back and really, how do I approach this? So kind of like what you're saying, turn it back on to myself and just what are the pieces that I am in control of and what can I do to change those particular pieces? And I cannot change the other person. I can only change myself. When I'm listening to what I realize is that it's essential not to be critical or judgmental of yourself at these moments, because just like with everybody else, if you throw in criticism, negativity or judgment, it makes changing or doing things different much more difficult because what happens is negativity, judgment and criticism of yourself. And by the way, this is, again, we're always overlaying this on looking at how our loved ones are playing out the same things. We're just doing it in our way. So if I'm criticizing, judging, or feeling negative about myself, I'm once again, taking my power away. And as soon as you take your power away, because you're so in that negativity, negativity doesn't allow you options. It basically gets you in this, this thought loop that puts you down and Put you in a little box. Oh, I'm bad. Oh, I'm controlling. Oh, there's something wrong with me. And that's not a power position. So what we're looking at is how do you take this opportunity to take your power? So if you're not doing something in a way that's working, look at what's not working and try new things. So that's one tool is try new things. Number two, we say this all the time. If you try it and it doesn't appear to work, that's part of the learning process. It's like playing the piano. If you try playing the piano the first time, it doesn't matter if you're a virtuoso, you are not gonna do well. 
that's why they call it practicing when you're playing music is you have to practice to get good. So with everything that's new, it must be practiced. It, the practice has to be built into this. So this is not you tried and failed. It's like you tried and it's like, oh, that wasn't so great. How do I do it differently? So that's that's an essential tool is to keep trying and really looking at what worked and didn't work. And then the other thing is having the willingness to take it lightly, like, well, okay, that didn't, you know, that was kind of a disaster. Okay. And not get all hard on yourself because we're dealing with very serious issues with our loved ones, which is going to hijack your system, which makes thinking and reacting difficult. So the more you can calm your system down to be able to step back and then process in a different way, it will help this along. There is another obstacle for families. That's another obstacle is the fact that your whole system is being hijacked. And it makes it really difficult to go ahead and take a step back. And a part of the issue, I think, with families is how do you talk yourself down when things are so immediate? So we've been practicing reflective listening in, in the past couple of weeks in rest meetings. And I give them real scenarios to work with because these are scenarios that a lot of families face. And the immediacy of the worry and the angst. So I'll just give an example. We were working on your loved one calls you. They need money for the pharmacy for their psych meds. Or it could be prescription like Suboxone or whatever it is. But the pharmacy's closing in a half an hour. And they need money right now. And they've already missed a dose or two. This is a high pressure call. I need money. I need money. I need it now. I got to get to the pharmacy right now. Right now. I've already missed two doses. I'm going out of my mind. How does the family slow it down? How does the family member not look at that as, oh my gosh, this is not chronic. This is a crisis. I'm in a crisis right now. And how do you slow it down so that you can make change within that particular situation? And so we've been doing these reflective listening in different scenarios and looking at all you want to do in that phone call, all you want to do in that reflective listening is go, here's the money, get to the pharmacy, I'll send you an Uber, <laughs> you know, get to the pharmacy, get your meds. But right now we're simply working on how do you slow that down and not solve the problem immediately. And then what do you do? Ultimately, in the end, we're going to get there. We haven't. I won't let them solve it right now in our practice session because I give them very specific things that they're allowed to do while they're practicing this scenario. But the whole goal of practicing this scenario is to get them to sit with that anxiety of wanting to solve it. Well, and I'm listening to just as a true confession, my first thought is, oh, I would do blah, 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 blah. It's like, stop it. That's that's <laughs> what it, that everybody here has that as their go to, because what's fascinating is the loved ones who are using don't apparently use that skill all the time. But we do. And that goes back to the dynamic, which is we are the problem solvers. OK, why don't you go to the pharmacy and I'll call the pharmacy and give them the card. But the pharmacist needs to call me for that. That was my first thought. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Why is your loved one calling you two minutes before the pharmacy closed? Because part of what the dynamic that they're creating is these fake emergencies. They knew all day that they had this issue. 
but notice that they don't call you until they're 10 minutes away from the pharmacy closing. I, that's fascinating. But if you have time and you could say, okay, they're dysfunctional, they're caught up, they're high, whatever. All of the above are probably true, but that doesn't mean that we, and I like to use the word superhero because I feel like that's a very clear visual. Like you're going to put your cape on and fly in and rescue this person either in the way they want you to rescue them or in a way that you think that they should be rescued. But the, the goal is still to save this person from horrible things happening. And we need to get out of that role because that's the emergency role again. We're feeding emergency responses. And even re emergency responders, if they have a chronic person that's always calling them, they're going to react differently. They're not going to go swoop in and do the same thing that they would do the first time it happened. But we keep doing it in the hope that this time it's different. And, and actually, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even think it's with the hope that this time it'll be different. I think it's with the realization that I can't figure out what to do to make it so that it'll be different. But this is so immediate, such an immediate problem. I right now I can't face my own emotions and my own feelings and worries and anxieties. So I'm just going to go ahead and give the money or whatever it is. But just to let you know, when we're doing this activity in the rest meetings, my goal is to help the family members not solve the problem and sit with that stress for a little bit. Just, it's like, no, I want you to get practice sitting with the stress and not answering them, just reflecting, reflecting, reflecting. And I'm giving them, we go through these steps so I only have them do one part of the reflective listening. Then we, same scenario, we add another piece in there. Oh, you got to summarize at the end. Oh, you've got to make a mistake in the middle of it. Oh, they're going to rant and rave and you're going to call a timeout because you need to get all the information. Like we add steps in there. But the whole goal is through learning this process is also learning that it's going to be stressful and all you're going to want to do as a family member is go, oh my God, yeah, here, I'll call the pharmacy. You get over there and, blah, 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 and do that kind of thing. And this is like, no, we're not going to solve this right now. And also the other thing about it that I think helps is telling family members that, you know what, this piece of it, this doesn't have to be the first thing that you tackle because this is a really difficult big emotional piece for the family member to have to face in the moment. What do you mean this? What's the this in this case? This particular scenario of the prescription, they've already missed two doses. And as a family member, I know exactly what's going through mom and dad's head. Oh my God, right? It's just all going to unravel now. And they've been doing so good for so long. And so this is why I have to, I have to do this. This is a biggie. This is a big piece of it. And what's going on inside of mom or dad, this might not be the piece you want to work on right now. Pick something else that's a little less involved, a, a little less critical. Um, and I put that in quotes, <laughs> a little less critical and move yourself over and then gain the strength. But also look at this particular situation and think of small little ways that you might be able to make a change. Hmm, you know, slow it down, 
really, really think in are there ways rather than giving the money? Well, I tell you what, if you can get yourself over to the pharmacy, here's what I can offer. You can get me on the phone and I'll give the credit card to the person over the phone, but you're going to have to get yourself there or find something in between in the gray area, but also slow it down. So it's not, oh my God, you're right. I'll do it. It's just slow it down for everybody and then approach it, approach it outside. I want to let you know, next time this happens, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more prepared, you know, whatever it is. Can we set up mail order prescriptions so that I know that it, it's going to you and then we don't have a crisis like this and you don't miss your dose? Would that work for you? And kind of baby step yourself over so that you can start pulling away from whatever crisis that is being presented. Because the other issue about this is, is I do think that our loved ones help to create a crisis. I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm not putting down the loved one at all. I'm not. I think it's, it's human to do this kind of stuff because you want to have your needs met. But I think it's creating a crisis situation so that you have to respond. And that becomes the relationship that we, you have with this person. They have a crisis and your job is to help them through because you love and care about them. And again, this is based on, don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Don't you want me to have good things happen or be okay? And there's no question that you feel that way. But if this is a pattern that's going on over and over and over again, I question, you know, what's a loving behavior? Because if my loving behavior in attempting to keep you alive and safe and healthy is actually allowing this substance use to continue or negative behavior to continue or a lack of self-care to continue, then I have to look at what's my role in this. And that's what the functional analysis does. And it might be that people really, you know, over the course of time, do another functional analysis, which is one of the, the modules where you're really looking at the dynamic between you and this person and what your part of the dynamic is. What are you feeding? What are you trying to diminish? And if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, then you're going to still feed it. But I feel like if that we want to keep our awareness on what we are doing to change and grow, what we're doing to change the dynamic and to just keep tweaking it. And I, I like that you said that it's like it's not like, OK, I'm going to change this gigantic thing. It's more like, hmm, OK, so. Because my first thought, I had the same exact thought, like you go, you get to the pharmacy and have them call me. And then I'm thinking, all right, we know there's all these scam people and they're talking to John down the street. Yeah, this is CVS, whatever. It's like, you know, what am I going to do to make sure that it's CVS? I tell you what, don't have them call me. I'll call them. Give me the number and I'll call them. Exactly. There is also a piece of craft that I think is important to bring up, and that is the problem solving there's a part of the problem solving in craft where at the very end of it, you ask yourself two questions. And the first question is, what did I do well? And then the second question is, how can I adjust this to make it better? So just ask yourself because you want to keep doing the things that you did well. But the second thing is to say to yourself, okay, now I'm going to keep doing what I was doing that worked but I'm gonna adjust it a little bit. And trust me, you will have ample opportunity to try again. It'll come up, it'll come up, it'll come up. No matter what happens with any of the skills that you're implementing, 
just tweak what didn't go well. Just pat yourself on the back for what did go well and then tweak what didn't go well and try it again. Try it again. Try it again. That's why I say it's cyclical. And and then you get better at it every time because every time you tweak it, you've modified it. That's what I was talking about with that conversation I had. I've been doing this for years and, you know, I'm supposed to be an expert in this active listening thing. And I was like, oh, my God, there's this massive piece of information, which is my part in this dynamic. I, I could listen, but I never looked at, oh, well, maybe some of this information is accu- actually accurate in terms of how I'm coming across, even if that's not my intention. And I think that that's the key. It's like, we're like, but that's not what I meant. It's like what your husband's saying. It's like, you're getting it wrong because that's not what I meant. But it, that's not the point. The point is, if the other person is, is is experiencing you that way, that's very important information. So it's like, what part of this, if you're experiencing that way, what am I doing unintentionally, unconsciously, whatever, that I need to try doing differently. And the reason I love this perspective and I love this program and I love this process is because the ultimate goal to me, yes, it's hopefully your loved one will get into treatment. But to me, it's more like, this is a very good way to grow and change and become more of yourself and a better version of yourself. And build a relationship. You're right. This program, your loved one might not go into treatment. But the one thing it can do and it often does do, and I haven't seen it not do this, is it builds a better relationship. Because you're changing your response, I found that I was changing myself and I was becoming a better person because my response to people outside of myself was better. But the people outside of me also have to respond differently to me because you're different right because i'm different and i'm different in a more positive way now the other person might respond you know negatively at the beginning but i think ultimately in the end end up in a better place because they're much clearer on my boundaries they're much clearer on where i'm coming from and no matter what i'm always trying to send a message of compassion and caring but taking care of myself regardless. And when you do that, people do have to change their response to you. They have to. And it's typically, like I said, I don't want to say it's not negative. It is negative maybe in the beginning because you're changing and they're not used to it. But I find that once things kind of settle down, the relationship is is much better. And to me, that is the goal because I, I feel like if we if we're anxious, if we're problem solvers, if we're superheroes, if we're the person that will always bail somebody out, then we wind up actually not being the best version of ourselves because that's about being controlling. That's about being anxious. That's about disrespecting the other person's power. That's about um, diminishing the process and not allowing a more healthy process to get involved. And I personally don't think that's a good way to live life. I think it's a lot of the way we survived. And I think that, you know, in the therapeutic sense, a lot of times what we do is we have adaptations to difficult things in our childhood. And so we become a particular type of person. We're the ones that can step in when there's an emergency. We fix things. We take care of things. That's a role that we get very comfortable with. And it gets a lot of reinforcement because uh, you're the one that gets called if there's a crisis, you're the problem solver. I mean, it feels great when people think of you that way, except 
if you have a loved one that's having issues, it becomes this nonstop job, this nonstop expectation. And let's face it, when anything is nonstop in that way, it winds up being a burnout situation. And so literally you need to think that you're burning your central nervous system out. You're increasing your cortisol levels, which is the anxiety response. You are, you're actually eroding your well-being with anxiety. It's like, basically, I always think of it as anxiety is a form of battery acid to the system. You're not a car. You don't need battery acid. Okay. Your battery needs to be replenished by more soft, gentle building kind of things. And so if you are focusing on self-soothing, calming yourself down and self-care and really slowing things down is a very, very, very important way to do this because there's also the mindful piece, which is all of the research has shown that the more mindful you are, the more you have choices and the more your system calms down and it's a better way for you to move forward. And mindfulness is really about slowing things down and processing in a different way and not being reactive. So everything that we're saying that will help the, the relationship with your loved one actually is about really healing yourself. I mean, we kind of talked about one specific obstacle. I feel like we're going to we're going to have to cover multiple obstacles in another conversation because we're kind of we're winding down our discussion for today. But why don't you go ahead and wrap it up? Give us a quick summary of what we talked okay, about. Okay, so basically what we're talking about here is the gap between knowing, having information, knowing things, and then implementing them in your life. And there are several obstacles that we're talking about. And, you know, there's a whole lot more of it. But one of them is responding in a crisis format as opposed to knowing that this is a longer term issue. So crisis means I have to respond now. And I think that when we need to reframe things into more, okay, I need to step back. I need to do things differently. Let me try something different and not see this as a crisis. The other obstacle is you're putting the other person's needs before yourself. So them being okay or getting them into treatment becomes priority over yourself. And so that's a hijacking mechanism so that you're not actually slowing things down and taking good care or necessarily even making decisions in a good way that actually is helpful to the other person. And the other thing is that we need to really look at how using the tools and trying and failing, even if you think you're terrible at it, that by trying and failing or trying and modifying and trying and shifting a little bit the next time, then it becomes a more, more routine and more practiced and easier to use. Basically, the idea is that, that you want to take the negativity out of your responses, whether it's to yourself or to your loved one. And every time you take the negativity out, you have a better chance of coming from a, a more calm place and also having a connection with the other person. And that will make a massive difference. Okay, thank you, Kayla. And I'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.